So, back to the book of Revelation. We actually made it through the first chapter in three weeks, which may be a record for us. Uh, Nothing that maybe will set the pattern, but... (laughs) Anyway, we understand this. This is a pretty long book, and, and it's going to take us quite a while to get through it. Uh, but we're committed to do this. This is certainly is the, the Word of God, and, and we are called to share all of the, the whole counsel of God to, to everyone. And so this is why we're doing what we're doing. And you know, I've heard, had some response from people, and people are just, for the most part, seem to be really excited that we're doing Revelation because people tend to avoid Revelation, at least in our circles, because it's obviously is not the easiest book in Scripture to teach and preach on. It's full of signs and symbols, some of which we know, right? We know the lampstands are the churches and that the, the stars in the hand of Jesus are the, the messengers, the pastors, teachers, or possibly angels, uh, that God has sent uh, to the churches. We know those things, but we know there's lots of symbols and signs that we don't, we can maybe think about and consider possibilities, but we don't know some things definitively, and we need to be okay with that, and I hope you understand that, that I'm not here to give you every answer that you have about the book of Revelation. Uh, and let me tell you, if I stood here this morning and he told you that I was going to give you an answer to every one of the questions you have, you should run from me like a scalded dog. Seriously, because there are people that have that mindset, but it is a very mysterious book, and we need to understand that, that it's a mystery for a reason. It's a mystery because God has made it mysterious. Now, does that mean there's not a lot of really, really good stuff we can glean from? It doesn't mean that at all. It just means that we need to understand what the boundaries are, and when we come to those boundaries, we need to be able to say, you know what? Maybe this, maybe that, but we don't really know. Okay. We are getting this morning into those seven letters to the seven churches. And those seven churches, again, are those seven churches in Asia, Asia, on Asia Minor, in Asia Minor, kind of the southwest part of Asia Minor. Uh, They are in the Roman province of Asia. And we're going to be turning to the first of those churches this morning, and it's called Ephesus. And we know probably more about Ephesus than we do all the other ones put together. Mostly not because of the ministry of John, but because of the ministry of Paul. We know that Paul first visited there briefly on the tail end of his second missionary journey. And on his third journey, he was there for three years. And we also know something of the circumstances that he was driven out of Ephesus. Uh, because he was preaching Christ and because certain people made their living by idol worship uh, and he was really starting to cut into their business. They got angry with him and it resulted in Paul being forced basically to leave Ephesus. And the interesting thing about it is even though he came close one time, he, he, he landed in Miletus on his way back on his third journey, on his way back to Jerusalem. Uh, he never once, once he left Ephesus, we don't have any record that Paul ever returned to Ephesus. Even though we just studied the, the book of Timothy, and we know that Timothy was the disciple of, of Paul, that he left there in Ephesus after he left. Uh, 
Now, one of the things I want, want us to glean from that is we need to understand something, and that is that for Christians, Ephesus was a very hostile environment. It was not a place that most Christians would relish being sent to or living in the middle of. It was a place that was given to licentiousness, a place that was given to idol worship. It was a place where being a Christian very often made you someone, often made you someone who was very unpopular. So read with me the word of God. Chapter 2, verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says this. We don't have to say anything else about that. It's what we just covered. It's talking about Jesus. He's there in the middle of the churches, and he's moving. I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance, and that you cannot endure evil men. And you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not. And you found them to be false. And you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. But I also have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen and repent and do not do the de- or do the de- that you did at first. Or else I am coming to you and rem- remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Yet this you do have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. End of letter. Now, I don't know how much you've studied these seven letters, but what you'll find here is that they basically follow a general pattern. And in ways, they're probably very similar to some letters that you've written in your lifetime, with some exceptions, obviously. Uh, but they begin with an address, a short address to the church, specific church to which it's written. Uh, then there's some recognition or actually a review basically of what we've already seen, some pr- the presence of Christ described in some particular way. Uh, then there's usually some, and, and you need to understand this is general, that some, some of the letters will have all of these things and some of them don't. Okay. But there's a description of the spiritual condition of the church. Is the church in good shape spiritually? Is it in bad shape spiritually? Then that is followed typically by either words of praise or words of rebuke. In other words, some of these things that Jesus says to some of these churches are hard things for these churches to hear. They're being rebuked for Jesus because of some things they've done or things they haven't done. There's also a promise that is made, and you find that in every one of them. And then they all end with a commitment, and that is to hear what the Spirit says. Not just to that particular church, but what the Spirit says to the churches. 
We understand that what we're saying here is this, is these letters weren't intended just for specifically. In other words, the Ephesus letter is not specifically and only for the church in Ephesus. It is for the churches to hear what the Spirit has to say. Some other things about Ephesus that you may not know. Actually, it was a Greek colony that was started about 1,000 B.C. I was in Greece many, many years ago. And if, and if you've been there, you know this. It's a very mountainous place, and there's not a lot of flat level ground for agriculture and things like that. And it, it appears the population in Greece got to be so great back around 1000 BC that they had no choice but to start uh, sending people out and, and, and making colonies in different places around the Mediterranean Sea. That one of the places they went was to Sicily, and that they founded Syracuse in Sicily. But another place that was founded about that same time was Ephesus. So it was Greek. And I would imagine that even in in the days of Paul, there was still a very great, obviously, there was still a very great Greek influence. In other words, a lot of people that lived in Ephesus thought of themselves as Greeks just living in a different place. How do we know that? Because they worshipped some of the same idols as the Greek people did in other places. Ephesus became probably the most significant city in Asia Minor at one time, other than Constantinople. They estimate that about the time of the apostles that there were at least 250,000 people that lived in Ephesus. Uh, We know there were a lot of people because they built a stadium, and there were ruins of the stadium still sitting there today that seated 25,000 people. That would be a large group in those days. So I don't want you to have the idea that Ephesus was this little village in the back of Asia Minor, that no one knew anything about, it was a very prominent, important city, especially in Asia Minor. Then along came the Romans, and the Romans made it their capital of the province of Asia. There's good reason for you and I to believe this, that the church in Ephesus was the mother church of all these other churches. In other words, all of these other churches that are mentioned here in Revelation were church plants that had roots from Ephesus. Now, biblically, we don't have a lot of ground for that, but there are other historically and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and we know this. We know that Paul was not closed-minded, that Paul had a, had a huge understanding and appreciation for the gospel going out in every direction by as many people as possible. That's what he was doing. Yes, Paul had something to do with planting churches. But he planted churches who were in turn then to plant other churches. I love the PCA for a lot of reasons, but one of them, like I've said before, is because we're so church planting oriented. 
because we understand some things. And one of the things is this, is planting new churches is the very best mechanism for evangelism that anyone has ever come up with. So I love the PCA because we're continuing in the mindset of the apostles. Remember what God's commission was to those apostles before he ascended back into heaven. And that is you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the world. Church planning. There's no better way of evangelizing the nations. And planting churches. And we need to be really tickled that Joel and, uh, and, and Stephanie, this is what they do. You know, it's, uh, it's kind of an unusual thing. Some of you may be n- not even familiar with, with what they do, but they go. They're in France. And they, they'll, they'll go, and this is why they move around. They haven't been in the same place the whole time they've been there. They go to a place, and they start witnessing to people and begin to lay seeds for churches, and they get involved in small core groups that have already started and things like that. But once the church gets up on its feet, they pick up, they leave the community where they've gotten to know people, where they've gotten to love people, where they've gotten to feel comfortable with people. They're a part of them. They're like family to them. They pick up and they go somewhere else and do it all over again. We need more people with a heart to do something like that. Most of us, when we get to a place, we say, you know what's really comfortable here? And I'm just going to stay here. I can serve Jesus right where I'm at. I don't have to go anywhere else. I mean, it takes a special calling to do something like that. But what a neat thing. And I'm so thankful for them that they're willing to do what I would be willing to do. So there's a good chance for us to conclude that the other churches that we're going to read about here actually started as church plants by the church in Ephesus, either directly or indirectly. And we know that the church was established there a long time before the apostle John ever made his way there. John was later in his life before he ever made his way to Ephesus. So he's coming in on the coattails of what Paul had done in this area many years before. 30, 40 years beforehand. We need to understand this. The church in Ephesus, by the time John got there, was probably 40 years old. Had gone through a generation. In other words, kids had been born into the church and kids had been raised in the church, and now they were adults. And that may have happened in some cases twice. And this is probably one of the things that the church is struggling with. Maybe why they've lost their first love is because the first generation is starting to fall away. And the second generation is not quite as committed as the first generation was. Verse 2, I know your deeds and your toil and perseverances and that you cannot endure evil men. We need to understand that these churches very often, like we've already established, were persecuted. But these, these Christians were not living the comfortable life. They probably had family members that they, they were estranged from because family members would have nothing to do with them because they were some of those Christians. 
those people that converted to that terrible religion. Uh, One of the things that Ephesus was noted for, it was the place where the temple to Artemis, which is the Greek name, and Diana, which is the Roman name, for one of their gods. Uh, she basically oversaw women and also nature in a sense. Uh, she was often pictured as riding in a chariot that was pulled by stags. So she beat Santa Claus in that picture. This temple, guys, was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was magnificent. It was the focal point of the whole city. It was the principal and primary thing that Ephesus was noted for. Now picture yourself being a Christian that maybe had been raised in that environment, but now you see things very differently. Now you know that there is nothing at all to this Diana worship, that there is no goddess Diana, just a statue in a stone building that can accomplish absolutely Not one single thing. You can't even say she's dead because she was never alive to start with. She's non-existent. Can you imagine what it would be like to have your eyes opened to the fallacy of the fallacy, the fallacy and the falsehood of what so much of life in Ephesus focused on? Brothers and sisters of ours were very much persecuted, family-wise, culture-wise. We think very often of Jewish people, how, you know, when when there were early Jewish converts, how they they were very often ostracized by the Jewish community. Same thing happened with the Greek people. Disenfranchised from family, disenfranchised from neighbors, disenfranchised from friends. Yet they persevered. And they worked hard. They couldn't uh, endure evil men. In other words, they saw the wickedness in the world around them. Maybe they were blind to it before, but when the, when the Spirit fell upon them and they were enlightened by our Lord Jesus Christ to the real truth and the real reality of things, they saw things in an entirely different light than they ever had in their life. In evilness. The darkness, the evilness that surrounded them became a lot more evident to them. Ever been in a really, really dark place where there was no light at all, like way down in a cave or something like that? 
You know what I'm talking about? If you ever go spelunking, try this sometime. Turn your light off after you get down in the cave, and you will know what darkness really is. It's not like it gets dark at night because you can still see a little bit. You go down in a place like this, and what I'm telling you guys is that's very much what Ephesus was like. It was dark. It was dark as it could get dark because of the evilness and the wickedness of people. But they lived differently. They stood out like sore thumbs. Because they didn't endure evilness. They spoke against it. Even more importantly, they lived contrary to it. They put to the test those who called themselves apostles. It would be crazy for us to believe. We know that there were all kinds of false prophets, right, in the Old Testament. For every prophet, it seems like there were literally hundreds, if not thousands, of false prophets that went forth claiming to speak on God's behalf, to have God's message, when in fact they didn't have it. And we know it was something that Isaiah and Jeremiah and all these other prophets were constantly confronted of because their message was one thing and the false prophet was, was different. And the one that the false prophets had was always the one that appealed to the hearts and the, uh, the, the minds and the lives of people. Living in a, as unbelievers, in essence. We believe, it's our understanding, the office of apostle was a temporary one. In other words, there are no apostles today. There haven't been any apostles since the last apostle died off. These were men who were specially commissioned by Jesus, men who had witnessed his resurrection. Now, that he commissioned specifically and particularly, particularly, with that mission that we've already mentioned. And that is to carry on his ministry to the remotest parts of the world. We know that he specially gifted them, that he gave them a special anointing of the Holy Spirit, that they were able to do miracles, sometimes heal people, sometimes raise people from the dead. And we know that their job, they had one job in life and everything they did and everything they said and everything they thought And that was to shed the light, to beam the light on Jesus Christ. To show Jesus to anybody and everybody that would take the time to look. So, how in the world did they test these guys who claimed to be apostles but were fakes. Well, maybe they challenged them to do a miracle or two and they couldn't do it. Maybe this and maybe that. But I would imagine it had a lot to do with the Word of God. 
How did the Bereans know that Paul truly was sin of God? They searched the scriptures. They weighed what he taught in the balance of scripture. And it stood. And I would not think it's too much of a stretch to believe that this is primarily what's going on here. That these false prophets, these false apostles were coming and they were teaching things that were contrary to scripture. And the Ephesians studied and they knew enough to show the falsehood of their teaching and therefore the falsehood of their apostleship. You and I would be crazy to believe that the church today is different, that we've entered into this enlightened time where there are no false prophets, there are no false apostles, there are no false teachers going out there. But let me tell you, if that were true, it would be the first time in the history of the church it was true. That in every age there have been false teachers. And let me tell you something, sometimes they're very easy to identify. Other times, they're not. But the only way to tell the difference is using the Bible, laying in balance what they teach. If it stands the test of Scripture, you believe it. If it doesn't, then you reject it. You have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. Are you weary? Are you tired? (laughs) Lori's getting tired of listening to me talk about how tired I am. You know, and and I know there are a lot of people here that have a lot more gray hair than I do and, and all of that. But I'm entering that age where, you know, all my joints are starting to crack and pop and hurt and you know, and this hurts and that hurts. And it, I know I didn't have near the stamina that I used to. I get tired out a whole lot easier than I used to. And, you know, and those kinds of things. And all of you are looking at me saying, he's still the young whippersnapper. You just wait. You're just beginning to experience that stuff. So, I mean, we know what it means to be physically weary. But we also know, most of us, what it means to be spiritually weary. Some of you walked with Jesus for a very long time. And it's a constant challenge, just like we were talking about in Sunday school. You understand what I'm doing there, just trying to stir the pot a little bit. Get some energy flowing. Get us up off of our weary bodies and be faithful to the Great Commission. Be faithful to what Jesus has called us to do. Sometimes when people get weary, they give up. They give in. That's not Christianity, guys. We get weary. Now, let me just tell you this. If you're not weary, then it's because you're not doing anything. You actually have to do something to get weary. If you're not weary, if you don't feel sometimes like you're worn out, it's because you're not doing anything to wear you out. When you've been in the faith for a while, you'll understand what it means to be spiritually weary. You're tired. 
But, you know, we can console one another. We understand what another, each other, what the other one's thinking and feeling at times and, and things like that. But we can't give up and give in to the temptation of becoming non-working, doing nothing, just sitting and waiting for Jesus. That's not his plan for anybody in this room. Never has been. It's not going to be. I know we're running over a little bit. It's just, you know, you go in, there's so many golden nuggets in this stuff that it's just, it's hard to do justice to any of it without spending a whole lot of time focusing on a particular thing. I just want to share this thought with you is, I want to kind of wrap, begin wrapping it up at this. In verse 4, this is one of those rebukes. In other words, he's already sung, sung praises for the people in Ephesus, but now Jesus rebukes them. He says something that they don't want to hear. But I had this against you that you have left your first love. In other words, you're not doing everything that you used to do. You're not doing those things that at the beginning lifted you so much up in love. You love to do them. Now they become burdensome to you. You're weary. You don't want to do them anymore because they take energy, they take time, they take effort. I want to talk some more about this next week, but I just want to leave you with this thought this morning. I think that there's always ground when we go through letters like this, this sort of thing, to stop and evaluate things. In other words, you and I, as we're going through here, we should be asking the question, what was our first love and have we forsaken it? In other words, what was the first love of Springs Presbyterian Church? And over the years, have we, have we let that thing that drove us, that we loved so much to begin with, fall to the wayside, and we've just kind of moved on? I was talking with the deacons the other, other day, and I really I believe this. I think Springs has lost its first love. Or forgotten it. Some of you don't know the history of spring so much. But let me tell you, we had everything in the world going against us. Not many people, little teeny tiny core group, and a totally unseasoned pastor that didn't know anything about any, hadn't even been a Christian long enough to be a pastor, etc. We had no money, we had no place. We had nothing. And we had people out there telling us, you've got nothing. We had people telling us over and over again, it will never happen. You cannot do it. Lori and I went to the church planning assessment center, the PCA puts on, and we 
bombed. We crashed and burned. And their message to us, they didn't come right out and say it, is church planning is not your thing. You can't do it. You don't have the gifts to do it. It won't ever happen. We understood this. That if it was up to us and our abilities and our giftedness, they were 100%, 1,000% right. But what we knew was this. God can do it in spite of all of that. He doesn't need us. He uses us, but he doesn't need us. You understand what I'm saying? Our faith was in Almighty God that if it it was his will, it would be done, and nothing could keep it from being done. If it wasn't, then it wouldn't. And we were willing to trust in that. And we trusted in that for years and years and years. Let me tell you something. A little church like Springs Presbyterian has accomplished a whole bunch In the years that we've been doing this, we started the, the, the school in Busoro. We funded it. We hired Chris and, 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 and Edith Musiji away from a good-paying job in another Christian school in the same town. We hired them away from that and paid, we paid their salary. To start that, that school in Busoru that has 600 students in it now. People saying it won't ever happen. We determined very early on that we weren't going to go into debt. Why? Because we have a mighty and powerful God, and he doesn't need people's money. If he wants something to happen, it's going to happen. We trusted in God to bring the money in. I had pastors telling me, Keith, it will never happen. You are going to cripple your ministry because you refuse to borrow money to build buildings and things. Guess what had happened? Covenant Children's Home. Covenant Children's Home. Let me tell you something. We chose the hard path. Because planning churches is one thing. Starting children's home homes is an entirely different thing. And there were people saying it won't happen. It'll never happen. But it did. When was the last time we did anything? And I know a lot of you are working with the children's home, and I don't get me wrong, but when is the last time we stepped out of the boundaries of what we've really thought we could do without a whole lot of help. We're tired. We're ready to give up. 
My job is to encourage us to understand that is not what God's intention is for us. His intention is for us to continue to step outside the boundaries. To continue to attempt to do things that people know cannot be done unless God is in the middle of those things. I think we need to be making plans to plan another church. Or be more involved in church planning in some place. Let me just say this too. Michael and Cindy Earp. Churches don't send missionaries anymore. Denominations send missionaries. Why? Because churches don't have the money to send missionaries. Michael and Cindy are an arm of Springs Presbyterian Church. We are their sending agency. Most of you don't know all of Michael and Cindy's story. Of course, I don't know all of it either. Only Michael and Cindy do. But their time at Springs is what convinced them that they needed to step outside the box. The box of doing that which we know we have a good chance of being successful at. Measured by human means. God doesn't want us there, guys. He wants us. That's where he wants us. He wants us to do things we can't do without him. Well, think about that. Come up with any ideas, you can tell Brian. <laughs>